Hello and welcome to Potlucky, a weed sommelier podcast. My name is Liz and I am your host in weed sommelier. I review strains, recommend things to munch on, and talk to guests about their history with weed. I've been a consumer for eight years and I am located in southern Maine where it's legal medically and recreationally. I am joined today by Desmond Osiris, otherwise known as Sean. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm doing well, thank you. Am I pronouncing that correctly? That's correct, you got it. I'm, I'm waiting for the day when I meet someone that pronounces their name Seen. You know, apparently there is somebody else in this town that I live in that pronounces it that way, and uh, I, I think it's really odd. He must make your life hell. I've never met him, which I think is also really odd. Well, it sounds like the potential for uh, a fine uh, rivalry between uh, <laughs> two Shans. I, I think he is my um, unofficial nemesis or something like that. Oh, tell me about over at, at, at where I used to work. I also had an unofficial nemesis. Um, but that's besides the point. Uh, how long have you been a weed consumer and do you have any weedy credentials you feel like sharing? Um, I don't have any credentials, but I've been enjoying for about 20 years now. Um, and I've been lucky enough to uh, always have some pretty high quality stuff around me. Even when I started off, I didn't really have to start off, you know, smoking terrible stuff. It started off pretty, pretty well. I think we all uh, probably started smoking you know basically the cousin of oregano for for whatever it was that you know we managed to buy for ten dollars um so there's there's no shame in that but it, it's cool that you managed to to always have your hands on some pretty good weed you said you grew previously right i when arizona legalized for recreational um i did try i did you know get my first setup going um i had some a few issues uh, the space that I was in was not um, optimal. Um, there was some water damage and poor ventilation. So that led to uh, things like um, uh, powdery mildew or basic, you know, uh, some growth that I didn't want on my plant. So I, I ended up chopping them. Um, but I'm looking into uh, doing it again, either uh, outdoor here in Arizona. It's a little difficult with all the sun, but uh, with some elevation, you can definitely pull it off. Why would elevation matter? Uh, it well down in the valley down near Phoenix. There's just it gets too hot. Your your plants will roast. Um, they'll dry out. Um, I mean, I, I bet there's some good growers that do, can do it with, with the proper shade. But daytime temperatures get to about 120, 135 d- degrees. Not 130, but about up up to 120 in the summer. Um, and so elevation will just bring that temperature down. So you're not you know cooking your plants in the middle of the summer accidentally come out and they've already uh, dried and cured themselves yeah exactly i I think the the plant stops growing um at a certain temperature or you know uh, kind of starts to shut down a little bit is what i was reading Mm -hmm. um when i was doing my grow so you know trying to keep those temperatures below like you know 95 is kind of optimal so nice shady spot a little bit of daytime temperature in some of these elevations in arizona i think I've, I've seen some really remarkable uh, outdoor grows here. What do you do for a living now? Uh, so I've been freelancing for the past two months as uh, with uh, private sort of dining experiences. Um, and, you know, up until the pandemic, I've been a bartender and uh, a wine steward. Ooh, I'm wine steward. I, I've never heard that term before. Would you care to elaborate? Yeah, so it's basically somebody like I work in restaurants or I could work in retail, but somebody whose you know main role of being in that service environment is to sell wine. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would call that a sommelier, but I don't like using that term. Um, a sommelier it refers to a lot more responsibilities than simply you know representing the wines and knowing what's on the shelves. Um, so yeah, I'd like to kind of be uh, make that distinction a little bit. I appreciate that. Um, you are also a sommelier, correct? I'm certified. So that's the, the I'm certified as a sommelier. I have not put all of my uh, tools to use in a um, um, in a in that you know kind of setting yet, where I'm selecting the wines and you know uh, matching them to dishes. That's the real work of what I'd say a sommelier is. It, it's up uh, along uh, on the tier of a chef. Um, so I'm working towards it, uh, but trying to do it in my own. Uh, sort of uh, obtuse way. I I agree with you, especially I 
I call myself a weed sommelier, um, and I learned that there there are a couple other terms that people have been throwing around, like gangier, and uh, uh, but I can't think of the other ones right now. But uh, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a sommelier um, and how one can perhaps take aspects from weed sommeliering and put it towards. Pardon me, I said that backwards. Aspects from wine sommeliering and putting it towards being a weed sommelier. Sure. Yeah. So there's a, a great conversation and dialogue about, um, I guess, the the act of being a wine steward or a sommelier in the United States in the past 20 to 30 years, thanks in part to the court of master sommeliers based out of Napa. They've been in the news lately for some, uh, you know, some uh, sordid business, but generally, though, the mission of that organization is to raise the service standards um, in the service, in the food service industry, um, you know, around wine. And so the things you learn by having to go through their curriculum and, and uh, pass the exams is uh, sort of the structure of service, whether it's, um, you know, fill levels or, you know, how you walk around the table, who you serve first. Um, but then there's also, uh, you know, you have to learn the language of it as well. So um, I think that's, those are sort of the main parts of it is uh, the geography, the language, and then the, the service, uh, bits and the reason is just to make people feel more comfortable when they come and sit in your uh you know sit at a table of yours um you kind of start off on the same foot uh having common ground already um and so that's basically i think the the basics and um sort of the reason why uh we have this position of a wine steward or a sommelier um, once you start getting to the, so I'm a certified and then the next level is advanced. And when people get to the advanced level, then they will often be uh, in positions of like a beverage manager. So they would be selecting which wines to put on the menu, um, which wines to pair with the chef's dishes. And that's when I think you're really being a sommelier. And, and that the, the term comes from France where the, it is, uh, the full term is chef de sommelier. Um, and that balances the chef de cuisine. Um, so that's why I like to put those two on the same level and why I also like to make sure I kind of uh, keep a distinction between what my efforts and my work have been, which is mainly, um, you know, people walk into a retail store map and they ask for, uh, you know, something to pair with their dinner. And I'll walk them to the, the shelves and tell them about the different wines and what I think would go with their dinner. But ultimately, um, and I think this is something that <clears throat> the community is really moving towards, is we're looking to try and not necessarily pair the wine with the food, but pair the wine with the person. And I think that um, is really important in cannabis as well, um, because there's a few more dimensions to cannabis. It's not, you know, there's only one chemical in, in, a, in wine that's making you um, feel different. It's alcohol, but there's so many different things to uh, cannabis. So, you know, people could be looking for a whole number of, of effects and uh, matching the, the experience of the person, I think, is... is uh, a really valuable uh, skill to have. I I feel agree. Like, it yeah. sounds like there's a social component to this as well, not just not just knowledge and uh, how, like the the action of it. Like you you mentioned about pouring, is that really does that come into play uh, as something of importance? How to pour wine? Totally. So if you have a bottle of wine, there's only so many um, uh, glasses in that bottle, but you have a table of eight people. Um, you have to make sure that everybody gets the same amount of wine in their glass. So you have to be con uh, conscientious when you're going around the table uh, about your pour. It should also be very clean. You shouldn't be spilling on the table. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, in a fine dining setting, you know, just reaching across the table, you have to be very careful and very graceful with that as well. So um, these are kinds of things that are important to the, the court that may not be important to uh, a, a cannabis sommelier. Mm -hmm. um, but perhaps, uh, there, you know, could be overlaps when it comes to like, um, uh, cannabis culinary experience as well, you know? I look forward to talking to you about that. Um, in the, in the, you know, after the smoke break and whatnot, that was very eloquently spoken. Thank you for informing me about, uh, how do I put this like components of being a sommelier that people might not think about, I guess. Mm-hmm. All righty. Uh, would you like to know about this week's weed product? I would. All right. So this week's featured weed product, um, kudos to the person that I was talking to. Um, I recently attended 
the Holiday Social hosted by independent diamond brokers in Maine, in Portland, at DeMilo's on the Water. Um, and it was a huge social event. There's another one coming up in February. Um, listeners know what I'm talking about. 100% recommend going to the next one. You will see me there. I will see some of you there. Um, but the, at this last social event, uh, Northern Terps, the person working the Northern Terps table was speaking to me and then uh, we parted ways and then I walked away and then I, I, I hear someone calling my name over my shoulder and I turn around and this, this uh, excellent lady is walking up and handing me a brown paper bag of uh, this weed that she, she recommended I, I review on the show. And as a thank you for hunting me down in a crowd, I, this is going to be the first uh, product I review um, out, of the, out of the new specimens I got. Um, uh, it was, it was really funny in retrospect that like, or I don't know, she handed it to me in like a very typical brown paper bag as if you're trying to be discreet. Um, but like, I don't know, everyone, everyone on that boat was smoking weed. So like, I don't know, it just, it cracked me up in retrospect. Oh, uh, we are, I didn't, I didn't say the name of the strain, my bad. We are smoking grape cream cake number 16 from Northern Terps. Yeah, I think sometimes uh, old habits die hard. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. Uh, what are you smoking this week? So today I have um, Atomic Apple from Alien Labs. Alien Labs is a name I've heard before. Are they they <sighs> are out of California. It's um, There's two brands, Alien Labs and Connected. I'm pretty sure they're out of California, and they came to Arizona about a year ago, and... Um, really find that they are the top of the line in Arizona there's a few other uh you know uh great growers here but um yeah the, the market I've, it's an in interesting thing I think what happens when uh recreation gets legalized um in that the medical market used to be very um high quality and I think as it goes to rec the quality kind of goes down across the market so it's nice to have these guys still doing really good uh, bud, but a little pricey. Yeah, I've I've heard that um, just generally from from that area. Um, like I'm, I feel I feel so so spoiled up here in Wells when I could go down to my my nearby weed store that's less than a mile from my house and get ten dollars worth of weed and uh and and be okay for a while. Like get a get a single gram of weed. Um, Can you buy uh, weed that's not prepackaged? Do you mean like 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 uh like those candy scoopers at the candy store where you can get like a whole spoonful of Swedish fish like that or yeah no unfortunately we haven't gotten quite that far I'm sure if like a candy business goes out uh of business I guess and uh you would you know they have the equipment left over there I'm sure there's someone just waiting out there for a gimmick of like our 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 weed really smells like candy or something like that and you can get you know your two scoops of raisins or what have you gummy sharks gummy frogs gummy dolphins uh and just like you know but but weed instead i mean that's a beautiful idea i love that vision can you imagine walking in there and smelling the combination of just you got you got your weed and you got your munchies right there so i think we would need a willy wonka of weed then Everything in this room is smokable. Even I'm smokable. But that's a uh, oh man, that's that's from the uh, the the second uh, Willy Wonka movie with uh, Johnny Depp. But uh, man, have you have you seen the first one recently? The one with Gene Wilder? Not recently. Okay, uh, that movie I, I loved it as a child, but it is terrifying as an adult, especially the the scene with the tunnel where they chop a chicken's head off like a live chicken wow I don't, yeah, I don't remember that yeah you should you should definitely rewatch the movie um right. but on the topic of munchies uh let's talk about the munchie moment for this week what do you like to snack on when you have the munchies so i oh was that a question yes <laughs> um yeah so i went with some mary's gone crackers and uh sparrow goat cheese which is vegan goat cheese and I meant to get olives, but I spaced on that at the uh, store today. So I had to settle for some cornichons. Cornichons. Are those small pickles? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, what do they call them? Uh, new perails or something? Or um, Yeah, they're like mini pickled. They're not a cucumber. Well, that leaves a lot of options as to what it could be if they're not a cucumber. Um have you ever had capers by any chance? That might be a New England thing. 
keepers. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I quite enjoy keepers. More. They're my, uh, my little, my, and if I don't get olives or pickles, they're my little something sour for like a, like a salad or something. Oh, sorry. Wait, that's what I meant. I didn't have cornichons. Cornichons are mini cucumbers. I had capers. Oh, ah, same hat. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was really delicious. A little vegan goat cheese and capers and crackers. Yeah. So we discussed this before um, recording, but you're vegan, right? How, when did that happen? Uh, a little over a year ago, about maybe almost a year and six months ago is when I decided to go all in. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just something that clicked one day and I looked at the milk I had in my fridge and the, just didn't want it. And my body just kind of uh, something very deep inside was like, yep, you just, that's not for you anymore. Um, but I'd been on and off vegetarian for about 10 years. And um, when I say on and off, I definitely mean that because I worked in food service. So oftentimes I would just, you know, go back to um, enjoying the food from my chef. Uh, you know, if I trust the person, I'll often enjoy their food. And sometimes I will still do that. Um, I try not to be uh, militant about it and, you know, try to be gauge the situation. But yeah, about a year and a half uh, sort of committed to what I, what I purchase is, is vegan. Very cool. So uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but uh, not all not all wines are vegan, which is a pretty big bummer thinking about it. But I guess that really depends on how far you're willing to take the veganism aspect Correct. and activism parts of your life. Because um, I, I understand that can get very overwhelming considering like, uh, I don't know, honey is, do you consider honey off limits? Um. So I, you know, that, that is one thing that I've been going back and forth on. I tend not to eat honey um, because it's, you know, very sugary. So um, <laughs> I try not to have too much sugar in my diet, but I, right now I just started making kombucha again and I did use honey as the sweetener for that. So I think I would rather, you know, it's kind of, uh, I feel like that's a gray area. Leave it up to the person. Um, I know anybody who really ascribes to veganism um, in America and, and, and describes the American version, uh, would say that honey is off limits. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think it's about, you kind of have to look at the reasons you're vegan, investigate the companies that you're buying from. The reason that honey wouldn't be vegan often, uh, is because they would, obviously it's from, um, bees and since you're taking their food you're harming them then they even sometimes cut the the wings of the uh, queens which is very not nice Um, so try to i try to avoid things like that basically yeah that's something i'll have to look into uh because that's not something I, i necessarily considered uh okay well not not to end this part on a bummer uh so did you know oreos are vegan i i heard that yeah yeah uh, also, I have a silly question for you that I I waited so long to ask my my vegan best friend Dan. Um, but how do you feel about like human breast milk? Would you would you imbibe it? Oh, I mean that's a really good question. Um, I probably wouldn't because I'm not a baby and I, I don't <laughs> think that I need that. But if I was starving and like the only thing to drink was that, I feel like that would be like be like holy in a way. Like if if like you know I was out in the desert you know just wasting away and that, that was all there was you know somebody came by i feel like yeah. that would be that's and like brought you back to life yeah, yeah wow that's really something to think about <laughs> all right on that note uh do you know what time it is i believe i do all right are you ready to do some weed i am yes all right let's do it all right If you or a friend have a word you think deserves airtime, leave us a message on Anchor. Make sure to include your name, a definition, and its use in a sentence. I guarantee you, if you do this, you will be on the show pending absolute foulness. All right, do you have a word you'd care to share with us, Sean? Yeah, so my name's Sean, and my weed word is beasters. And these were the bags of weed that you didn't want to smoke growing up because they were basically brickweed. So, uh... You know, if you were looking for something, you'd say, um, hey, man, do you have any nug to smoke? Not any beasters, though. All right. Thank you very much. That's it. Uh, 
thank you thank you very much sean uh and with that we are back uh how are you feeling after after our smoke break very good yeah very much enjoying my uh my choice my selection of the day want to talk about it yeah so um apple atomic apple it's uh, a cross of triangle mints and apple fritter i think the name is actually really appropriate it does kind of conjure up the flavor of a fuji apple slightly crisp a little bit juicy um but you know mellow not uh not overbearing and uh a little bit of a body high uh definitely coming on very uh very soon after so um i believe it's about 65 percent indica dominant um overall i give it a nine out of ten something i definitely enjoy again that sounds pretty enjoyable. Um, I haven't really experienced over here on the East Coast uh, anything that smells remotely like apple. I believe I've had apple fritter before, but not not on the show. So I didn't, you know, I didn't dive in too deeply to that one. I try to save my 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 focusing energy for examining these strains that uh, end up on the show. Um, but smoking this earlier and smoking this now, uh, once again, kudos to the lady that hunted me down uh i popping this popping this bag open it was stinky gassy and grapey uh very very pungently grapey i'm not a huge fan of the name like grape cream kind of sounds good and cream cake sounds pretty good but grape cream cake uh i don't know have you have you have you ever had a grape ice cream no i think grape gelato sounds nice okay that does sound nice but or sorbet yeah i would i'm trying to like a a sherbet probably i don't know if that's grape flavored though but i'm i've never i've never had a grape ice cream and because of that it's kind of hard to like find that palatable in my mouth like the grape cream cake it it grape and cream i i don't i don't necessarily see those as going together can you imagine a situation where those would be like a like a powerful pairing well, no, because when you think about a sweet grape, it's the Concord, right? It's uh, kind of grown around Michigan and yes. um, Southern Canada. And that that's a New World thing. They just invented that. So, you know, maybe they would, in, like, if you're thinking about, like, a classic dessert, it'd be like a blackberry pie would be, or like a blackberry yeah, cheese. That's, yeah, that's a good point. You know, they would have been berries instead of you know, the sweet Concord grape flavor that, that I think we're kind of thinking of with, because that's, that's what I think of when I think of like the herb, when people talk about grape, it's more of like that fat Concord, like really purple, um, not so much the tartness of grapes. Yeah. Like, almost like two different identities there. Yeah. According to the internet, specifically Tumblr, the, one of the, I can't remember if it was Ben or Jerry, but one of the inventors of Ben and Jerry, uh, he was dating someone, and at that time, he had come up with a grape ice cream, um, and, like, everyone seemed to enjoy it, and then they offered to let the dog have a lick, um, and for those of you that don't know, grapes are extremely, extremely bad for dogs. They're poisonous, especially the skins, mm-hmm. um, and I guess due to the way they flavored it, it was very potent because the dog died almost immediately after trying it, and according oh. to internet legend, that is why we don't have grape ice cream because Ben and Jerry... They had it, they had it in their hands, and then they they decided not to because it killed a dog. Yeah, that's a that would be a really bad invention because dogs love ice cream. Yeah, I I've never had a dog that I've given one of those like puppuccinos to, but like I I would love the opportunity to give a dog whipped cream. <laughs> yeah, so this this weed, especially your local humane society would totally be happy with you giving uh, dogs yeah. diarrhea. <laughs> yeah uh stepping away from that thought uh grinding up this weed it was more of like a sweet key lime pie kind of flavor uh not flavor smell i should say i did not i did not in fact put this in my mouth my brother joked about um like we call this part like doing tasting notes um and so we my brother joked about like okay do you need any more tasting notes or do i have to put it in my mouth and i'm like haha very funny but now i'm thinking like Oh, man, I could I could make it part of a part of the show as a joke to to re- like pop a pop a weed in my mouth and give it a good chew, but uh, I feel like that's a good way to make uh, to to lose a perfectly smokable nug. Yeah, that's unrecoverable there. 
Yeah, maybe maybe if I dried it out. But uh, um, so looking at oh sorry, you could decarb it first so that it's not a waste. That's yeah, that's a good point. Man, it's like a firecracker but with fewer steps. So these nugs, uh, they were absolutely beautiful. Like, uh, I had I had smoked it a little bit, and then I looked at another nug under the uh, the light of my loop, um, and it kind of glistened like like a Christmas tree, you know, with those uh, like the glass icicle, you know, ornaments and those like twinkly little uh, Christmas lights, the the very white ones. Uh, I, I I dug it. It was really cool to look at stone. Um, it was hairy. There weren't too many like pinheads on top of the trichromes, but like there was a significant amount of trichromes. Um, there were little little tinges of purple, which were nice to find. Very, very like I put thready and then I wrote I have to find a better word than this and I still haven't. So it kind of as opposed to like like entirely hairy, it looked like there were there were threads. Um, it was much more pungent upon grinding, and I felt like I got a better sense of like a. Um, the difference between like you know weed in a bag versus like freshly ground stuff like like uh with pepper right like getting pre-ground pepper as opposed to grinding it yourself oh totally yeah have you have you noticed that with weed that it that or have you made any observations about weed um regarding oh. like the the flavor profile or smell profile um i mean what when uh like pre-ground stuff like pre-rolls i generally find that they are you know easily uh stale or they get stale much easier um so yeah i mean i a good trim job and a nice solid uh uh good size nug is always a good sign um one thing i've kind of found too i think is that right when our market went to wreck a lot of the um dispensaries were putting stuff out like really soon after harvest not letting it kind of dry fully Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that's kind of a thing to keep an eye out for make sure you know if you're getting on from a dispensary that they are you know kind of taking that little extra care um you know i don't know how it is up in maine you guys have have had uh your market for a while right how many years has it been oh goodness don't ask me um i've only i think i'm going on a year and six months of living here like officially and whatnot um but uh, I'll, I'll have to ask my cousin. But from what I've experienced, like there's always a good deal to be had up here. Never found any too skunky nugs. I've only in the entire time I've been smoking weed up here, which probably less than three years worth of you know cumulative experiences. Um, I've only come across one strain that I absolutely did not care for. Um, so I, I think I think the uh, batting average is pretty pretty solid for Maine. What about Arizona? Have you had any problems like that besides? what you just talked about i mean uh yeah so i mean the uh i'm on some of the arizona uh reddits for growing and for um before it uh became recreational for the medical as well and you know everybody's posting information in their experience so you see a lot of the opinions and you hear a lot of rumors and um there are some pictures that came out about some of the grows and it was like frightening. So I don't want to, you know, say names or, or say what was in any of the pictures, but <laughs> yeah, the, there's definitely um, a part of the market that you kind of wonder sometimes. And I've gotten uh, definitely some jars where I were definitely questioned, you know, if, if it was even safe to, you know, uh, continue smoking after a few pops because the, the, you know, flavor wasn't there and the feeling was just like, what is, it, what is this? But for the most part, you know, um, the stuff, uh, well, actually I shouldn't say for the most part, but there is a certain part of the market where they do a really good job. And so, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's not like, um, I don't know. I feel like when everybody grows uh, themselves, things you know there's really good herb around but when it's all controlled by uh a limited uh, number of hands um the, yeah exactly by big weed the the quality kind of just will go down because there's no incentive to um to keep it honest and to keep it uh, natural and um and to keep it personal i think that's the great thing about herb too it's this personal thing that when you when you share somebody's grow you know it tells you about them and you totally can uh i feel like there's personal 
characteristics to the, to the herb that people grow. And that's a, it's definitely something that I would compare to the wine world. That might even be like the strongest uh, uh, connection, I could say, between the ideas of small yang wine and small yang uh, herb. So look for those like uh, winemaker characteristics. I've been told you can't do craft on large scale. How do you feel about that? I would agree. Um, yeah, I, I I think craft is it, like it, often down to an individual um, or a group, a small group of individuals. But I think once you uh, start having to go to, to that larger scale, you kind of lose a little bit of that touch. I agree. Um, do you remember your first experience with weed? Yes. Yeah, I do. Um, Would you like to share it with the rest of the class? Yeah, it. I can just say it was great because I was uh, a friend that had friends with older brothers. So um, they kind of showed us the ropes and one of them even helped uh, make our first bong, which was made out of a two foot rain gauge uh, with a MacGyver piece of a trumpet mouthpiece. <laughs> yeah, excellent. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we we went to the we went to space. You know, it was great. How old were you? Fourteen. Wow. Yeah. I I think the first time I smoked weed was was sixteen. Um. So, do you remember if you got stoned the first time you tried it? That so yeah, that was the first time I I uh, really had the experience of uh, enjoying it. I believe that I did try it once before, but I I don't think so, actually. I, I'm pretty sure that I was able to, you know, I, I feel like that's a rumor. I feel like it's just that people don't know how to inhale the first time or they're just worried. Yeah. Right? They're, I, they're focused uh, too much on trying to get to the destination as opposed to enjoying the journey, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's like an urban legend for sure. Well, I personally did not feel it the first time I smoked. Um, man, if I if I had a grant, I wonder if I could like study how marijuana affects people for the first time. Um, but that would that would take a lot of time and a lot of resources. Um, do you have a preference for how you consume it? Yeah, I mean, I really I like water pipes, so um, I really like my bong. The um, I really like bongs, but my bong, the uh, fitting isn't quite right. So I don't use that too often. So I have a, uh, a bubbler. Um, it's pretty simple, but uh, it was well-blown glass out of, uh, I think it was a Philly artist. And then I smoke spliffs. You know, I, I can't stop spliffs. They're so classic. And uh, Okay, so a spliff. I know that has some kind of tobacco in it. What's the ratio to, to marijuana in that bad boy? It's whatever you, you know, whatever you want. Um, but generally try to keep, uh, I'd say like two fifths tobacco. No, probably even less, maybe like, um, a quarter tobacco, three quarter herb, just enough. Okay. Just enough. I can accept that as a scientific measurement. Yeah. Man. So what are some things you enjoy doing while you're stoned? Oh yeah, I like to write music. Um, oh yeah, talk. yeah. So um, that's where the name comes from, Desmond Osiris. Um, that's sort of like my uh, alter ego that I have discovered through music. Um, so yeah, I work on music a lot. Even trying to work on art, I cycle. Um, totally committed to uh, a single speed bicycle. So those are probably the the main things I do when I'm not working i also have a single speed bicycle but that's because uh i have problems with my legs so the only speed i get is slow unless i'm going downhill and then it's like extra large slow does that i, I, I was trying to make a joke there it didn't quite work but i i feel you i think i think cycling is an interesting hobby do you feel like a hamster on a in a wheel Oh, no, no, no. I feel totally free on a bike. Uh, bicycling is the most amazing thing in the world, I think. That, like, it's this, the, I shouldn't say the most amazing thing in the world, but it's, like, the most amazing thing you can do every day for free, and 
it's totally freeing in that way. It's there's you don't have to like ask anybody. You don't have to like. I don't even have to like ride on the road. I can ride on dirt trails. I can, you know, ride a a pseudo bike in the comfort of your own home. That would no. So yeah, I've I've tried running on treadmills and things like that, and um, yeah, I I couldn't do that uh, that Peloton thing, chasing a, a you know virtual people on bikes chasing a a rabbit or something along those lines and like in like greyhound racing i feel like they they chase a rabbit and whatnot but jokes on them they're going in a circle yeah i mean that's you know they're just playing with um evolution there or i've never heard anyone say that word quite like that i appreciate that you just did that was a bold move evolution sounds like we're you know like the the eve of something like the the dawn of evolution evolution right or like pokemon you know but i don't i don't know that what's the connection there oh sorry you're, you're like eevees like evolution and whatnot the oh my god do, do, do you know what pokemon oh, evolu- are evolution of a pokemon i guess yeah yeah okay i'm so sorry i live i live with a big pokemon nerd so it doesn't occur to me that no one like uh my people might not be as familiar with it as uh you know i am on a like a a daily basis and what have you totally yeah totally yeah so backing up a little bit um so how did you how would you say you got into uh like became interested in being a sommelier whether that be you know for wine or for weed yeah um so I got into it because I'd been working in restaurants and one of the things that you can talk to your guests at restaurants about is, you know, what they're enjoying. And so, you know, everybody knows food and that's an easy thing, but there's something else on the table as well. So wine is the other thing uh, that conversations often have happen about. <clears throat> you could talk about the the napkins or the, the tablecloth. Well, that's actually, you're not probably not wrong. Um, uh, I didn't really have anybody too often talking to me about the interior design and the, the, um, all that (laughs) stuff, but occasionally, you know, it's not, it's totally not out of the ordinary. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, wine's on the table and management's always trying to get people to get into wine. So I was at a place and they hired a sommelier and he was a complete, um, how do I say politely? He's a complete asshole, basically. <laughs> uh, if that's the polite version, my goodness. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, nobody ever wanted him to talk to the tables because uh, he had like a scorched, scorched earth kind of strategy um, where we're trying to, you know, get these tables to come back and, you know, yeah. have, uh, have guests every Friday night. And he's trying to get as much out of them in one night. So um, I see yeah so he had this real uh terrible attitude and i kind of like he kept flaunting his certification i was like well what's the certification about so i looked into it and there's like a whole code of ethics and so i read the code of ethics and i was like oh that's cool that's cool that's cool and i thought about it and i was like he breaks that one that one and that one and that one like all four it's like all right i could do this if he can do it then i can do it and i it almost just made me kind of like want to do it more mm-hmm. um it was a really strange uh ego trip perhaps but um yeah so that was what really spawned it um and then the other factor of it was that i was at a place that had really great wine and um a manager one day just put a taste in front of me because at the time i didn't drink wine um i was mostly a beer guy and uh so he put a taste in front of me and asked me to tell him uh you know what he what i tasted in it and you know what the flavor profile was and so i nailed it um and you just kept doing that yeah that was uh that was kind of what began um began the the whole experience interesting do you remember um would you, actually would you like to expand on like the code of ethics and whatnot um that's not something i'm familiar with i mean i i like to think i have a strong moral code um and i, I try to be kind to everyone but how how does being an ethical person come into being a sommelier? Like, what are the what are the rules? Yeah, yeah. So there are uh, definitely rules, and they're kind of based on um, treating the guests right and then treating your coworkers right. So 
the first one is that you're there to help the restaurant. So if dishes need to be run, you run dishes. If, um, you know, tables need to be greeted, you greet tables. And so that was like one of the, one of the rules is that you don't say that you're above the work of the restaurant. Um, you do what needs to get done. Even if you are there to sell the wine, you know, you're, you're still there to make sure the restaurant runs. Um, so that was one. Another one was that, um, you always try to undersell the guest. So you never try to oversell them. Um, so if they say they, you know, have something in mind, you bring two options, one, um, that's like normal price point, And then you even bring one that's under price point. Um, and that way, you know, the guests will trust you. You know, it's just the, eth the ethical thing to do is give somebody the, uh, the option of uh, kind of going a little under what they, they wanted to pay. Um, and then another one is that you never present false information. And if you do accidentally present false information, um, you retract it, you let them know, and you correct it. Um, so yeah, those are the three I can remember. I can't remember what the fourth one was, but I knew, yeah, but he didn't, he didn't follow that one either. So if there was say a stone tablet with those four, oh, let's just say three, cause you could remember three of them. How would you, how would you like put those succinctly, you know, and just in case people want to want to write that down and, and live more like a sommelier thou shalt not or you know like the like the ten commandments the, the, the three commandments that sean can remember of being Treat everyone like a homie okay i think that's it because if you're a homie with them you'll you know you'll help them out with the work or if you're a homie with them you'll give them a good deal on the bottle and you'll, you'll not try to oversell them so i feel like that's totally what cannabis culture is all about right you know it's, there's such a bond between people who enjoy it and you can kind of recognize each other you know um be excellent and, to one another yeah there you yeah. go that's a very a very stoner bill and ted thing to say but yeah um something that's been instilled in me recently is uh just the like a uh, half your weed is for smoking and half your weed is for sharing um maybe maybe not quite those precise measurements but um there's just there's just something so wonderful about weed and people smoking weed that you could walk into a circle um and like be accepted into the circle uh as just like a like a like a you become what is the word legion like yeah you're becoming legion with the 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 weed this the the circle totally yeah i think i think there's um a state of observation that people are willing to you know enjoy um instead of uh sort of a state of action if people aren't enjoying so i feel like there's definitely uh, that space for people to come in and and become a part of the, the a new group very easily yeah for for weed and for wine that's where i feel like they really differ um uh, especially like the the media I've consumed growing up being very into wine was kind of seen as a like a I don't want to say snobbish because I can think of a better word but like more of a hoity-toity um, like like rich people can afford you know wine cellars but I mean you know people that aren't, aren't quite so well off we have weed cellars or grow weed in our cellars I guess yeah, no, it's very, very true, um, especially in the United States, where uh, it is much more expensive to get wine um, than in Europe. Um, and so I think some of that did change a little bit with, uh, I remember the big, was it, what was the big Australian um, winemaker? They just started doing all those uh yellowtail. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yellowtail. I think I remember when Yellowtail hit the market. I had not seen them before. I think they kind of hit the market in like 2006 or no, 2008 or 9 or something in the United States. But um it was they just were ever present. It was kind of like the white claw craze. It was like, oh, it was like yellow yellowtail summer. Yeah. Um, everybody had yellowtail and um, I think that kind of changed it after that was, uh, and I think throughout the nineties in the United States was mainly a beer and cocktail culture. And then I think 
um, around you know 2000 the 2000s on uh, there's been a, a much bigger sector for wine and younger people are enjoying wine and in California the wine prices have come down um, there's a lot of younger winemakers that are doing really awesome um, like refreshing young wines that, that you can get for you know thirty dollars a bottle which you know it is still pretty pricey um, but for that area you know most of, a lot of those bottles go for a lot more yeah Napa Valley um, in California that's like a big competitive wine region right oh yeah yeah Napa is um, probably the United States one of the United States best um, terroirs for wine um, they've got a lot of sunshine they've got a um, maritime influence a lot of elevation um, really good interesting soil structures so it's one of the best places that you can you can find in the United States for uh, for wine. Um, Maritime influence sounds like something you would say about a band, and not quite you know the earth, but I can I can dig it both ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a big thing in the wine world to be near an ocean. Yeah. Um, so on the topic of soil, um, do you see any overlap between the? Okay, so terroir that that has to do with the earth. Um, I was through through my friend Nico, who is big into oysters. He introduced me to the term marewar, which has to do with, um, like I guess the flavor of the ocean is kind of uh, and like the the nutrients in there is kind of how it boils down to. Yeah. Um, so do you see, do you see any overlap between you know the terroir of wine and the terroir of weed? So I think it's <clears throat> a little tricky to um, if you limit it just to soil um, because. Cannabis, oh, feel free to expand. I'm not nearly informed enough on this topic to, to know how to formulate this question. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, terroir includes um, not only environmental conditions, but also cultural. So um, cultural would be, you know, the, what goes on in that, you know, culture for over, you know, hundreds of years and how they develop their winemaking processes, because there's so many in, in Europe and, um, uh, you know, other wine growing regions around the world and that is also included in terroir and i think that's almost where you get a terroir of cannabis in that the culture of the growing style so you can almost think about it that way then you could apply um there are different sort of terroirs and hydro would be a terroir and um uh like soil would be a terroir and then you could even say uh what's the, the living soil would be another mm-hmm. uh, terroir and uh and then the thing about it as well is that since it does so many people do grow indoor that people are, are like master botanists and there's another overlap there and a little bit smaller because not so many people with wine grow uh are doing like experimentation with crosses and stuff indoors but there is a history of that so there's certainly inspiration to be drawn mm-hmm. um, but when talking about how flavor and all that expresses like ter- how terroir expresses in the final product um, I-, I think you can apply some concepts like you know uh, the soil will, will do this um, hydro will do this um, outdoor will do this etc cetera, etc cetera. as the uh, wine sommelier i don't know if i'm fully experienced to you know uh expound on those and give my uh you know impressions i, I think those those are opinions and i'll keep those to myself um but maybe the weed sommelier could uh could jump in and share if, if you have any opinions on that that's a great question um as a weed sommelier uh i, I mean i've tried growing my own weed before um, this is the second year in a row I've tried it, and this one is markedly better. Um, and I thought I had some real buds going there, but when I, you know, pulled away all the leaves, they're uh, uh, they were they were quite small, but I, I guess they were there. Um, but I, I really hope to improve my palate when it comes to smoking things that I personally like. I I got the soil and put it in this pot and planted the seed and made sure I watered it and controlled the nutrients and whatnot, and then in this level of sunlight. And I want to see if, I mean, obviously it's not going to compare to something that was grown hydroponically um, commercially, but I'm, I'm really curious to see what effect I had on this, you know, the potential of this weed plant. And I think 
Um, once I once I I'm done curing Shia LaBeouf, the the plant I, I cut down a couple of weeks ago, um, I'm I'm curious to to understand the the flavor profile and whatnot and how and see you know what people think and what uh, notes I can I can pick up with my uh my yeah. my weed tasting criteria. And I, I expanding on the idea of like a terroir and, and growing method, I, I don't think that there's like any right or wrong about it. Kind of depends on, you know, what people want out of their final product. But I think um, right now I'm looking at some stuff on no-till. And are you familiar at all with no-till soil or the no-till projects? No, I am not. So basically where, um, you know, you'll maybe do a few different um uh, cycles of growing um but you basically let the soil do its thing you're never like uh turning it um okay and uh yeah they they try to get a lot of uh life going in it a lot of um different uh uh, microflora and microfauna and uh apparently the um final product is supposed to be really complex, really rich. And so I think when you're, when you be talking, when you be doing something like that, you would really be exploring how, um, you know, the terroir, the, the soil itself, the, the foundation would influence the final product. Um, yeah. If I, if I were an eccentric millionaire, one thing I would try would be, uh, um, have you seen trailer park boys by any chance? You know, it's I a, it's a, okay. Oh, never I mind. Uh, I'll use I, a different example. Um, but if I was an eccentric millionaire and I had my weed, I would try curing it in different kinds of containers. Um, say, like I know uh, for like whiskey and whatnot, certain whiskey barrels, um, like the, they impart a specific flavor. I know for wine, like aging in stainless steel um, versus other other surfaces have a have a like a, an effect on the flavor. So I'm really curious to see like what woods would make very complimentary uh, tasting notes for, and if it would be even affected at all by uh, storing weed inside of like a, a wooden container, like a, like a. Probably during the drying process, maybe would be the time to do it. Yeah. That's, yeah. I was thinking of the curing process. Cause then it's really, you know, absorbing the flavors of the, the, the container that it's in. Uh, speaking of which, I, I really hope I scrubbed out that tomato sauce uh, that I made that was in that jar that is now curing this weed. Otherwise, it'll have a very distinctly Italian flavor. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, we got to start winding things down soon. One thing I was especially curious to ask you about would be pairings. One thing I'm always interested in learning about uh, complementary flavors and whatnot. Um, one of these days, I hope to find a magical combination that will uh, be so flavorful I will literally explode. Um, but what are okay? So for dinner, I had seared tuna with a maple or a honey soy glaze. What kind of wine would you pair with that? Seared tuna with a honey soy glaze um you could do a number of wines you could do something like a cabernet with that um it would have some fruitiness to it that would match with the uh the white meat and the the honey um or you could go with a white wine as well like a crisp a really crisp white wine to cut through the honey and keep it a little a little bit like a lighter dish um i would do maybe a sauvignon blanc um so yeah i would probably keep it in that Cabernet Sauvignon or Sauvignon Blanc, either end of the spectrum, um, depending on the person. Yeah. So um, going from there, would there be a this might this might be too too specific for like you know tuna and whatnot, but uh, would there be a weed that you would consider pairing with that, or so how how would you incorporate weed into that meal? Yeah, I guess as a small, I like to think about, um, I'm also, I studied communication studies in, uh, as a bachelor, uh, in my bachelor studies. So there was a famous saying, the medium is the message. So I think the medium of your, uh, you know, smoking is how you kind of can interact and change the effect and the feeling of it, and especially like texture and flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, so with tuna, I might just recommend like a pinner just a nice, <laughs> nice little pinner next to your um, entree plate. I dig it. 
Yeah, like a we instead of a pinner, you could call it like a fishbone joint. Um, yeah, yeah, which is why I did happen to pull. It wasn't tuna. I also had um some salmon in there uh, that I was I was playing with, um, and I found a bone, unfortunately. Which that always that always kills it for me when I find a bone or like a hair in my food. Um, but I I really I really fucking nailed it on this tuna. I'm very proud. I marinated the shit out of it. I had a little pineapple juice so it'd be tender um and i i seared all the sides for like a like pretty pretty high heat for like one minute on each side the inside was like a beautiful medium rare um and it was sushi gray tuna so it, it was okay to do according to the the fda but uh oh man i i wish i wish more restaurants would uh incorporate weed into their menu but perhaps that'd be like a like an outside only kind of menu yeah, I'm not sure about the uh, any restrictions on that at the moment, but I mean, I wonder if they could use people, restaurants and cafes use CBD now. So. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose I, there's always the uh, the option of bringing your own special condiments um, and discreetly putting on your your homemade special ketchup while no one's looking. You could do a nice pesto, right? Like a, a can of pesto. I could see that. Would you incorporate? I don't know how weed leaves taste, but would you try to incorporate them into the pesto? Oh yeah, um, I I often use uh, cannabis in my cooking. I'll decarb it in my um, instant pot on the oven. It's got like the oven setting, so I'll just decarb it there and then use it as um, an herb. So throw it in things that uh, you kind of want to. If you've got a night to just relax and um, you've got like a sauce or something like that, it's delicious. It, it's pungent um so yeah you can definitely work it into some more herbaceous and uh sort of deeper uh deeper flavored uh dishes but what kind gotta... of uh what kind of dishes would you uh use as an example for throwing some uh some kneaded herb in there uh like a ragu um i think what i made a uh vegan uh vodka sauce so penne mm-hmm. alla vodka Mm-hmm. Um, definitely throw some decarb cannabis leaves in your penne alla vodka, um, chimichurri. Ooh, uh, I could see that working with a, especially yeah. like the color wise. Yeah, anything where you're going to be using a lot of other green herbs, um, especially parsley, because parsley will help mask the bitterness of um, of cannabis. I am a big fan of parsley. Uh, my vegan friend Dan will tell tell people that I tried to poison him because I put like uh, I was making I, I'm gonna butcher this name, but it's like pasta alio eolio, which is uh, like oil and lemon and whatnot. Um, binging with that has taught me how to make it. But mm. I put I put twice as much parsley in there because I really enjoy parsley. And I thought that would make it better, right? Nope. Turns out it was just, we were just sitting there eating leaves basically because the parsley kind of threw off how everything cooked. Oh yeah, parsley's super bitter. So you got to be very judicious when you use parsley. Um, just a little bit goes a long way. I've talk. I've since learned. I promise you. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, where would you like people to find you, Sean? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter, uh, Desmond Osiris. I'm also on Instagram, uh, dsmnd underscore zero, and then you can also find me on my website which is unboundentities.com. Well, if uh, I manage to do my job and you do yours, all those links will be in the uh, audio description, not audio description, pardon me, show notes for this episode. Um, all right. Is there anything you'd like to plug while you have the opportunity to do so? Anything else I mean? Uh, no, that's, I mean, it's all up on Insta and, uh, and Twitter, so. Fair enough. Um, I'm going to take the opportunity to plug Honeycrisp apples. Uh, They're a delicious fall treat, and I wish I could handle eating more apples than my body recommends. Uh, Alrighty then. Uh, That is all the time we have. Thank you for listening. Our theme music is The Irish Washerwoman as arranged by Maylee Charles. You can find Potlucky on Apple Music, Google Music, and Spotify. We also have an Instagram page. Feel free to post pictures of your smoking materials and tag me in them at Potlucky Podcast. Like what we do and want to see us grow? Consider supporting us on anchor.fm. You'll hear from us next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.